0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Uh, Welcome. Glad you're here. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor and privilege to bring us to the Word of God this morning. So I'm going to invite you to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 in your Bibles, Bible apps, whatever it is that you use uh, to read the Bible. James chapter 5. While you're doing that, just a couple comments on what you just saw, camp, uh, is a big deal. So I was a student pastor in the, at the beginning of my career, and that was the week that I would not trade for anything else. The impact that you could get in one week of camp was worth almost the entire year uh, of ministry. It is a huge, huge deal, and so many life th- things that deal with life change happen in camp, at camp, and so we have a great partner in Alpine about an hour from here, and we get to go there and do all of the fun stuff that they offer uh, and some stuff that we bring as well, Um, and so first thing I would encourage you to do if you have students, make sure they're signed up and going to go with us this summer. Second thing that you can do uh, to participate is to help someone go to camp. We have a scholarship fund called the Susan Bosley Scholarship Fund. Um, All it does is help students go to camp. Every dollar that's given to that fund helps students go to camp. And I can think of no one better uh, for this fund to be named after. Susan Bosley was a youth leader for, for me when I was in middle school and high Center school Church here at BibleCenter. Um, she on all poured platforms. in over and over into my life. Um, and so it's an honor to have her name on this fund. Uh, and so if you would like to contribute in that way, you can do that just through the Susan Bosley Scholarship Fund and that will help students Go to camp. You know, uh, preachers a lot of times they'll get up and they'll say, you know, I've been in this passage this week and and God was really working on me and here's an example of how He was working on me as as we were dealing with this this week and so this week we're going to talk about patience, which is one of those dangerous prayers. You know, like God make me patient. That's a really hard prayer to pray. Um, so this week. I didn't really have anything going on that was that was in that world. To to literally, I'm driving on the corridor this morning, coming to church, thinking, in my head, man, there just hasn't really been anything that has happened this week that would be like in this world. And I look in front of me, and the road is closed. That's what I see: cop cars everywhere. And we sat there for a half an hour as I'm trying to make my way to church to preach. It's like, God, don't you know? I gotta be there. I gotta preach this morning. So they had the road shut (coughs) because they were pulling cable across the corridor uh, on a Sunday morning. And it was like two guys, like maybe more people, but two guys, one guy up in a bucket truck at the top and then one guy on the bottom that literally by himself is like towing this cable across the road. I'm watching the whole thing. Tows it across the road, goes back to the other side, toes more, like, what is going on? So we sat there for about a half an hour. I'm getting texts from people behind me. Are you in this traffic on a Sunday morning? And so there's my example, thank you, Lord, of patience this morning as we jump into James chapter five. So James chapter five is where we find ourselves. We've been working through the book of James as a body over the last few weeks, and uh, you've heard from some great messages from uh, Caleb and Dr. King and Mike and, and others who have been part of bringing this series to us. Uh, and we find ourselves today starting in verse 7, in verse 7 of James chapter 5. So let's read that together. It says this, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. I'm gonna stop there for our first section, and I'm gonna encourage you as you read scripture to interact with it, just like you would any other book or anything like that, but to interact with it. Not just to read it, but to interact with it. Have a conversation with it as you you go. And there are many ways that you can do that. You can highlight, you can underline, you can circle, you can draw arrows, you can write things in the margins. There's lots of ways that you can interact with Scripture. Here's an example of some things that I did in this passage that kind of draw your attention to different things. It helps you discover themes. It help you, helps you discover different things that the author may be pointing out. And so I just put in bold the word patient. That seems to be the word that kind of pops up over and over and over again. And so we're gonna look at the word patience today. But there are lots of ways that you can interact with with Scripture. Pastor Mike has a four-color version of that that you could use. But whatever way it is, I would encourage you to do that. Take notes, interact with Scripture. Don't just let it sit on the page. The word patience here, as read in this passage, can be substituted with the word perseverance or endurance. Kind of the three are used back and forth throughout the book of James, and in your translation, you may have one of those words, in the place of patience. James here at the end of his letter is circling back to a theme that he introduced at the very beginning. Flip back just a couple of pages to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, the very beginning of his letter. Go to verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or patience. Then he says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. At the beginning of the letter that James has written, he is basically presenting to us the reality of suffering. He's saying, in this world, you will suffer. It's part of living on a broken earth. You will suffer. But he says, count it all joy when you do because it's actually evidence that God is working on your life. It's actually evidence, it's proof that God is working on your life when you suffer. So that's how he starts his letter. The very first words, count it all joy when you fall into trial because it's evidence that God's working on your life. It produces patience. It produces endurance. Now at the end of his letter, he comes full circle and he brings this topic up again and he does this throughout his whole letter. But he gets to the end and he starts to turn from I'm gonna step on your toes to I'm gonna encourage you. So he spent about four and a half chapters stepping on our toes. Some of you even last week commented on Mike's message because he said, this is gonna step on our toes. And you're like, yeah, it did. Felt good, but it did. He's kind of changing his tone now. And he's moving from I'm gonna step on your toes to now I've done that. And now I wanna encourage you as I close this letter out. So he circles back to the same theme, but in this case, in chapter 5, he anchors suffering in hope. He anchors suffering in hope. He doesn't just say, it's proof God's working on you, it's gonna happen, have joy. He anchors it in hope. First thing we're going to look at today is hope in his coming. Hope in his coming. There in, the, in verse 7, at the very beginning of this section, he says, be patient. Be patient. Literally, you could take the word you and put it in front of be. You be patient. It's an imperative. You be patient. Be patient. All of these things that I've told you, they're gonna be really, really difficult, and you're gonna go through so many hard times, but you be patient. Why? Because the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Three times in the beginning of this passage, the Lord is coming. Be patient because the Lord is coming. He anchors it to this hope. Have you ever thought about those two words, patience and hope? Thought about the relationship between patience and hope? I haven't, hadn't spent much time on that before this week, but I, but I started thinking about patience and hope and how are they related, and this is the phrase that came out. Without patience, hope is never realized. Without hope, patience is never possible. Without patience, hope is never realized. Without hope, patience is never possible. Think about that for a second. Hope is something that is in the future. And so in order to get there, to see it realized, we have to be patient on the way to it. It's not an immediate. Hope represents future. And so the contrast between the two, the relationship between the two is really, really tight. And so when James is talking about patience here, he's anchoring it in hope. And the first thing is hope in his coming. The reality, the truth, the the fundamental underlying thing that Jesus is coming again. How can I have patience through suffering? Because Jesus is coming again. And this is not the way that it will be. So I can, I can put myself through this. I can stay in it because this is not the way it will be. Jesus is coming. The Lord is coming. So it's anchored in hope. Everything that James has told us through the entire letter points to the imminent return of the Lord. Points to the imminent return of the Lord. Can I encourage you? If you wanna study the Lord's coming in more detail, on our website, BibleCenterChurch.com, there's a tab at the top, that says next steps. You click on that, and at the bottom of that, there's a tab that says core classes. If you click on core classes, you're gonna see all kinds of things, but one of the core classes that you will see is called end times. And Pastor Mike has done an incredible job of unfolding what we believe the Bible teaches about the end times. I think there are 10 sessions on there, all different angles, and as Christians, as people who follow Jesus and have hope in the Lord's coming, we should almost be bathing in the reality of the Lord's coming. It should be so present in our mind, it should permeate our day. And So take the time this week, as we move through James 5, spend some time looking at the Lord's coming. What will it look like? What's it going to mean for me? How's it going to happen? All of those things are part of that core class. Rooting ourselves in the fact that God's going to make all things new, including us, gives us strength for patience. You know, the Christian journey we've summed up, and I'm going to grab these two things here real quick. The Christian journey we've summed up in ten words. Ten words. We talk about God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores. That would be what we call the gospel. So if you think about the narrative of Scripture from from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you could sum that up in ten words, and now obviously explanation underneath those ten words. But ten words moves you through the whole narrative of Scripture, James, primarily, is speaking about the moment of salvation. Right here, Jesus saves to the moment God restores. What is between those two? Let me hear you. Somebody said it. Jesus transforms. Okay, it's the squiggly line. All right, so this is Jesus saves And this is God Restores. I'm gonna get some help from a couple friends here for just a second. And we're gonna illustrate this journey. So the book of James, the letter of James, is written to people who are on this journey, who are in this journey of Jesus transforming. Paul would call it sanctification. Okay, it's the moment I come to Christ until the moment I eventually meet him. All of the things in between. How God is changing my life. So we're all on this journey. So Brian's on this journey. And he's just getting started. Lord love him. It's right there. And Mary Beth's on this journey, and we all know she's a little bit ahead of Bryant, even though she plays keys and he plays guitar. So we're all on the journey, and you can put yourself up there somewhere, and you see that line. It's a squiggly line. It's not a one step forward, two steps forward, three steps forward. It's all over the place. We have some good seasons. We have some bad seasons. That's the journey. Jesus transforming us. So James, in the context of hope in his coming, picks out one thing, one thing that can destroy that hope. Let's look back in the passage real quick. Go to verse 8. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Then verse nine, don't grumble against each other or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Out of all the things that James could have stopped and said in the middle of hope over Christ's coming, he picks out judging each other. Why? Why would he elevate that? to be the thing that he says is gonna ruin this process that's taking place in our life. It's gonna ruin this move from salvation to meeting God, this transformation that God wants to do in my life. Why does he pick out that? Well, let's say Mary Beth decides that she's about had enough of Bryant and his electric guitar playing. We have no use for electric guitar players anymore because you cannot play keys the way that I play keys. Right, And so she decides she's going to take a moment out of her life to judge him for his lack of ability in this area. What happens in that moment? Well, the first thing is, she takes the place of God. Maybe she's assuming that God's busy that day and needs her help and that Bryant doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in him, and so she needs to step in and be that person. So she takes the place of God. She makes herself God. The second thing she does when she does that is she stops her own growth. So in order to do this, she's got to turn around and look at him, And so instead of focusing on where she's going and where God's taking her and how he's changing her, now all of a sudden she's got to turn around and focus on him. She takes her focus off Jesus and puts her focus on another person so that she can judge that person. The third thing she does is she hurts the body. She hurts the body. This is the single most divisive crippling thing there is to the church. It's the single most divisive, crippling thing there is in the church. Judging someone else divides the church. You all could probably go to stories in your own life of people that you know that are no longer in the church because of people... In the church, it hurts the body. It hurts the body. Not to mention, it hurts Brian. It hurts a brother or sister. It doesn't encourage him. It doesn't lift him up. It doesn't help them transform more into the image of Christ. It tears them down. It tears them down. Thanks, guys. So when we take time out of our own transforming journey to judge someone else, those four things, I make myself into God, I stop my own growth, I hurt the body, and I damage a brother or sister. All of those things happen in that moment. It's why James stops right there again. On judging people. It's why he stops right there, and he says, you don't understand, this cripples hope. This cripples hope. It's hard enough to journey together with patience through suffering, but if you add judging and judgmentalism to it, it cripples hope. It's that big a deal. Go to verse 10. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The first thing James anchors our hope in is the Lord's coming. The second thing he anchors our hope in is the Lord's character, his character. Let me show you how I marked this up a little bit here, uh, the second part of this passage. So the Lord is said several times through here. It's like James is trying to drill that into our heads. Go to verse 11. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, several times. But then what does he do? At the very end of verse 11, he anchors... Hope in God's character, in God's character. He says he's full of compassion and mercy. He's full of compassion and mercy. Now remember what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about patience in the middle of suffering, but then he anchors that in God is full of compassion and mercy. How often do we put the words compassion and suffering in the same sentence. We don't often think of compassion and suffering as being synonyms. Like, they're not the same thing. Normally we think of compassion as relieving suffering, right? It's like, take that away from me, and that's compassion. But here James is is flipping that on his head, and he's saying, no, actually in this case, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, that is true, and you will suffer, and that's evidence that God loves you. So he's flipping that on its head. You could say it like this. There are moments where the most compassionate and merciful thing that the Lord could do for us is hold us in the suffering. The most compassionate and merciful thing that the Lord could do for us is hold us in the suffering. Let me define hold. Hold, like wrap his arms around us and give us a hug. See, it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. And all of us have done that at some point or another. He's the God of comfort. Hold. Hold. But there's another side to that. There's also the hold that means keep us in the suffering. The most compassionate thing and merciful thing that he could do is hold us in the suffering. Let me give you two examples. So when I was a young dad, first daughter was eight weeks old, eight weeks old, and Emily, my wife, had just gone back to work for the first time, um, and we get a phone call from my mother-in-law. She gets a phone call from my mother-in-law that says, Allison has a fever of 104 as an eight-week-old. Well, I had read the manual on babies, so I knew exactly what to do, and so I sprung into action. no, They don't give you one of those. Um, 104 seems bad, right? Like for anybody, much less than eight-week-old. And so panic has hit the King household. So we go to the doctor, and the doctor sends us to the hospital. And we go to the hospital, and they're running tests, and they're doing all kinds of stuff, trying to figure out what has spiked this fever. And we're in the hospital for a week. But the the moment that sticks out to me is when the nurse comes in at the very beginning, when we're, we're just getting there. And she comes in to me, and literally, I mean, first child eight weeks old, was just learning that her arm won't pull off if I put a shirt on her. Like, I mean, we're just in that like scenario at this point, okay? So the nurse comes in and says, I need you to follow me to this other room. Okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know enough to expect bad things at that point. Um, Yes, I'm coming, let's go. Um, Whatever you need. So we go to this other room and there's a table there and the nurse looks at me and and she says, so she's too little to put IVs in her arms or her legs because her veins haven't developed yet. And so with infants, we put an IV needle in their head because that's where the best vein is. And she looks at me like dead serious, and she says, Dad, I'm going to need you to hold her down. Some of you guys are going right there with me right now. You're like, oh, yeah, been there, done that. So in the hospital, I held my daughter down while they hurt her. I held her in that moment of suffering because in the long run, it was the best thing to cure the disease that was hurting her. And so I held her in the suffering. So there are moments where you're crying out for relief and God is saying, no, you don't understand. The best thing for you right now is for me to hold you in the suffering, in the sickness, in the disease, in the loss. I'm gonna hold you in it because I'm transforming you more and more into the image of Christ. And it takes this for that to happen. The other way he holds us So, my second daughter dodged the bullets when she was young. Not so much in middle school, but um, when she was younger, she dodged a lot of these kind of things. But my third, Abigail, we're living in Dayton, Ohio, and she's about one, and uh, she starts having trouble breathing. So, we go to the doctor, and they send us to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And there we discover a beautiful thing called RSV. Never have heard of that before. um, And now we have. And RSV basically depletes oxygen levels is essentially what it does. And so Abigail, her middle name is Joy because she just lights up a room. Like she just, her smile is huge. And she was one of the easiest babies in the world. And she was in the hospital for a week, for a whole week. And literally the only thing we could do was hold her. That was it. There was nothing else we could do. Just hold her. She didn't want to play. She didn't want to crawl around. She didn't want to eat. She was feeling miserable. She was suffering. And all we could do was hold her. Say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And there are moments in our life as we go through suffering, where God just holds us. He says, have patience, have patience. I'm full of compassion and mercy. Trust that I'm full of compassion and mercy. So hold us in the suffering can be hold us in the suffering or it can be hold us in the suffering, both are true. And both are anchored in his compassion and mercy. Both are evidence of his compassion and mercy in our life. You know, as Americans, we're not fans of that kind of thing, because that's a, that's a waiting game in a lot of ways. Um, that's something that we have to sit in. And we like destination games. How do I get to the end? How do I fast forward to the end? I even find myself when I'm watching a show that's not particularly good, I don't know if you do this, but literally I'll fast forward to the end just so I know how it ends and then go on to something else. Instead of sitting there for you know half an hour watching this show, That it's all right, but I really know what, I want to know how it ends. We are destination people. Everything that we do is built around destination. How do I... Get there from my career to build to, to putting a puzzle together. Everything's getting to completion. That's what we want. And this is a this is a patience, it's not a completion thing. Patience, patience is an on-the-way thing, it's a journey thing. James says, look at Job, go back to our passage here. Verse 10: brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance. and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James says, look at Job. Look at Job. So let's look at Job. Job had arrived in every sense of the word. Job was the definition of success. If you looked up success in the dictionary in that time of the, of the world, you would find a picture of Job. Like he epitomized success, he had it all. The money, the houses, the wealth, the family, the cars, whatever they were then, like he had all of it, like all of that, all of them physical, material things, Job had, fame, he had it. But then in addition to that, Job also had the spiritual side. He had the spiritual side. Let's look and see what God says about Job in Job chapter one. He says this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Job had the physical side, and God said he was blameless and upright. He had the spiritual side. He had arrived in every version of the the word. If Job was in this timeline of Jesus transforming, he's standing like right here. Blameless and upright, God said that about Job. So then what happens? He loses everything, all of it. Over the next few verses, you see houses on fire, fields on fire, family is dying, wealth is gone, friends forsake him. Wife gets mad at him, like on and on and on and on it goes. Or you think it can't pile on anymore, it piles on more. On and on and on it goes. And let's pick up in verse 20 of chapter one in Job. All of that has just happened. And then it says this, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. He fell the ground in worship. He just lost everything. The amount of suffering that this man just went through was immense, and he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. How could Job do that? Because he was anchored in the character of God. Even in the middle of suffering, of immense suffering, he was anchored in the fact that God is full of compassion and mercy. And the physical wavered, but the spiritual did not. There was a foundational truth that carried him through. God's character. He's good. He's compassionate. He's merciful. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name Of the Lord. In closing, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and see the example of Jesus. Example of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse 1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance or patience or endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, because he did. Catch this. Because he did. For the joy set before him, the hope of the future, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had patience and perseverance through the cross, scorning its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we, as a church, how do we individually journey through suffering We maintain our hope in the Lord's coming. And we maintain our hope in his character. Patient people have the ability to participate in what God is doing in the world because they know the end. Can I pray this over you? May the Lord empower us to live lives full of patience in the face of suffering becoming more and more like Jesus individually and collectively and more aware of his presence with us on the journey as we eagerly anticipate his coming. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your character. We thank you for the hope in your coming. We thank you for these moments together. We pray as we've gathered today that you would encourage us with your compassion and your mercy, that you would bake those truths into our life. that you, you would encourage us with the hope of your coming, that we would live every day anticipating that moment and participating in what you are doing here in this world. We praise you for who you are and for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information, visit us at biblecenterchurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.